Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with freelance tech solutions and I'm your host. Welcome everyone to a very exciting installment of the Evolution and Exchange Gaming Podcast. Today we'll be speaking about all things Metaverse with our CEO panel. Today I'm joined by Morton Rongard, CEO at Reality Plus, Michael Ingforce, CEO at Hyber, Kim Source, CEO at Social First, and Henrik Nell, CEO at Mindark. Before we begin, let's start with some introductions. Morton, please kick us off. Yes, so thank you very much, Harry, and thank you for having me. My name is Morton Rongard. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Reality Plus. So just quickly, Reality Plus uh, is basically a platform that provides an end-to-end solution for brands to launch and manage their web three strategies. So we work with companies like BBC, ITV, and uh, have done several kind of like big drops in this space. Uh, so we are considered one of the pioneers also within the NFT space. Awesome. Michael. Yep. Thanks for, for having me. I'm uh, Michael Inkhorst, uh, co-founder and CEO of Hyber, where we're um, building we call an open and uh, universally accessible metaverse platform that is uh, powered by the blockchain and uh, that enables what we call a metaverse layer over the existing internet infrastructure that kind of creates this interconnected web of, of 3d worlds where everyone in the world can participate you know with or without any coding skills and also regardless of where they have uh, kind of what that kind of device and internet access they have so Prior to, to joining Hyber in 2017, I spent over two decades in, in the interactive media industry, um, mostly agency side, working with, with uh, international brands. And I've also spent five years within the gaming industry with, with Sony PlayStation. Awesome. Uh, Henrik. Thank you very much for, for letting me be here. Uh, Henrik Now I'm the CEO of Mindark. We are the creators of Entropia Universe, uh, MMORPG that's been around you know, almost as old as I am for 20 years next year. Um, and the unique thing with Entropia Universe is that it's a real cash economy. So we have a fully functional economy. Um, the TED project Entropia dollar is pegged to the American dollar where people inside our universe can, can make transactions, do work for each other and yeah, just just do whatever they want. Awesome. And finally, King. Okay, yeah. Thanks for having me here. Uh, so, Kim Soares, uh, founder and CEO of Social First, a uh, Finnish gaming startup. Uh, I've been gamer since 1979, game developer for the uh, past 20 years. Uh, at Social First, we have a 13-people team right now. We've been working for uh, nine months as a team, and we are creating uh, social sandbox MMO games. Uh, something that we have quite a long experience uh, with, with the core team of the founders and, and co-founders and yeah we are kind of like specializing in in not just social elements but also player driven economies and kind of like sandbox social elements as well awesome so you all have a question on the metaverse that you want to ask the other guests so i want to start with henrik henrik what is your question and the context behind it Right, so my question was the following. How do you communicate the meaning of the metaverse to your stakeholders or in general, like in different uh, situations? And why do you do it the way you do it? I think the context is, you know, metaverse is definitely uh, a buzzword. Um, and I think people, especially in gaming and IT and you know, related industries are familiar with the concepts. Um, but you know, personally, I find it a bit hard to find a true easy definition that makes sense. 
and obviously you adapt your language to whoever you're speaking with. Um, but I still feel that you know metaverse. It's hard to not talk about the metaverse in more of a futuristic as a futuristic concept. So that's where my curiosity comes. How how do you guys explain it? Alrighty, I want Michael to start on this one, please. Michael, what do you think? Sure, I'm I'm sure there's a lot of lot of hopefully maybe a lot of anticipation out there maybe we'll kind of crack the ultimate definition of, of what the metaverse is but um maybe maybe there'll be some some people that'll be disappointed but i think yet yeah, um i think it's, it's an excellent question Henrik, and i think that th th there's a kind of real challenge here that that's that just that's this not just this one crystal clear definition of what what kind of what it is what it can be right and um and there's kind of a lot of a lot of talking heads out there that are kind of and I'm talking about their their own vision, which is kind of kind of confusing, right? And sort of here at, at Hyper, we you know we you know we obviously try to demystify it as as kind of as much as possible. I mean, personally, I I often just describe it as as kind of the next evolution or or 3D extension to the to the existing internet. You know that they will eventually bring bring about this interconnected, persistent you know, 3D uh, virtual 3D worlds yeah, where people can live and work and 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 play. Um, but also try to mention that this this really started years ago, right? And we're we're still probably years away from from experience. What what many people, at least you know, for us in the gaming industry, think of when when, when this word metaverse is is mentioned. I like it, Morton. Thoughts? Yeah, so <laughs> it's a really good question, Henrik. And I think you know we see, especially we work with some of the big brands also. And again, they all want to explore the whole web free right now and metaverse of course is one of these uh, things for me it's always been a metaverse for me is multiple kind of like microverses but in general it's more like when your digital life suddenly is more interesting than your physical life so that, that digital experience can be branding it can be game it can be whatever suddenly would attract you for me that is kind of like the first wave into uh, what, what Michael also touched based on, like this is a new experience, how we basically see and interact. And I think future generations is not going to see any kind of difference between the physical life and the digital life. I think it's just us right now where that blocker is. Uh, and, and I think just like the next kind of the generations will just be normal for them to tap in and out digital life, physical life. I don't think there's going to be any kind of like, in that case, blockers. So that, that's that's how I see it right now. And I think what we see right now is the kind of like the connection that brands are making um, transition from web two into web three, and especially touching based on new generations, because this is where they touch and actually try to connect to DGENs and millennials, which is their kind of like new clients in this whole space. So that that's how I see it. Thank you. Uh, Kim, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, yeah, what what is the matrix or what is the metaverse? I mean, I, I usually say that uh, if you ask five people what, what is a metaverse, you get at least seven different answers from the five people. But uh, kind of like echoing what, what Morton said that uh, I, I, I like to kind of like, I'm interested in, in science and, and, and physics and, and space. So if you think of like universe, we, we live in a universe and then you have this like there's like maybe some other universes so it's it would be multiverse but those wouldn't touch each other in any way so you wouldn't have any connections with them between them but metaverse is something that you have different universes i games for example that in some uh, some uh, part of them overlap so kind of like morrison said that you can have 
different games and they overlap in some fashion. The most most obvious kind of like example people use is that you have a item in one game and then you can take the item into a, another game as well. Uh, if you know enough or anything about about games, you know that it's not as simple as that. I mean, uh, it's just like technically and of, of course kind of like concept as well. You can't really take something from GTA 5 and bring it to uh, into a World of Warcraft, for example. But what you could do, especially if you would run multiple games in your own portfolio, would be that uh, item X in your one game would open up something like new playable level or new different item or something else in your other games. And that's kind of like giving players in any one of your games added value in the other games as well. And that's kind of like where I see it would be kind of like beneficial for both players and interesting for the developers as well. Yeah, Kim, Kim, just I think for the audience, I really, you know, why why do you, maybe just to to, um, to elaborate on why is it technically not possible right now with the assets, the interoperability, because I think, you know, a lot of people are expecting this will happen across different kind of metaverses, but I think just, uh, you know, I can also elaborate, but I think, you know, just now that you're explaining from a technical point of view, why is this difficult, right? Uh, well, I mean, one example was I was listening to this podcast. Uh, it wasn't as good podcast as this one, of course. And they were they were discussing that uh, some some young developers. Uh, it was more like crypto oriented, and they were saying that they are making kind of like Smash Bros. Melee type of game. And their kind of like pitch was that they would enable board ape characters in the game, and they would if you would have a board ape with I don't know golden helmet and cigar, they would make that model in the their game as well. And you know that that's just like a nightmare of making different assets for your game from someone else's assets, kind of like mimicking or mirroring those. And it's just like not really doable in any real sense. But of course, then again, you can have something else that fits your game as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, maybe just quickly, you know, we could say that one of the things we've just done, we have made a deal with ITV and we have just launched basically the min pass for the Thunderbirds. And what we're gonna do is that NFT is gonna give you a generative art. So, and when you then connect your wallet with a generative art NFT in it to the sandbox, you're gonna be dropped uh, basically uh, a, a sandbox avatar in their kind of like look and feel. And I think that is uh, what we will see. Although that, that's the interoperability I see right now where the current kind of technology is that that is doable. But as you said, you know, there's a lot of work going into that where we suddenly, because there's all these metaverses, how will it look and feel, how will it work, um, basically, uh, to the next one, right? So, yeah. Uh, can I can I follow up on that? Because uh, what Morrison is, I mean, of course, you can do that. And you, I mean, someone posted, uh, maybe relating to this podcast, that is, is Fortnite a metaverse? And of course, Fortnite is doing that. I mean, you have the uh, very many uh, big brands there already. So, yeah, you can do that, but kind of like, it can't be just like open free for all that any game ISM from any other game. It just bring it and it works like that. But yeah, yeah, that's, to certain extent, that's the smart contract. That that's the smart contract that you need to give access to, right? So they will be able to basically interact with your assets and be able to use the assets also into their game. So yeah, it's a bigger bigger technical discussion. So yeah, it's uh, it's the technology is not there yet, but I think it will come at some point. Um, it's interesting to see that, that you know that some maybe maybe we would call it baby steps for, or, or whatever, but are taking in this direction, right? I mean, we we at Hybrid we we recently um, 
uh, uh, collaboration with Ready Player Me, which I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with, and um, and we actually um, actually launched Ready Player Me on our platform the other day, and uh, it's, it's 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 so awesome to see um, kind of the, the engagement by 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 the users on our platform, and they're just kind of loving it, right? And I I know it's it's not it's not solving the you know the all the things when it comes to entrepreneurability, I, I'm, I'm not saying that, but it's it's uh, it's cool to see how these how these how these technologies and platforms are coming out there and and at least sort of uh, starting the journey towards. I think that eventually, you know, we'll we'll get there. Do, do you think, Michael, that the avatar? I would still say in an NFT, basically, right? But do you think the avatar will be that interoperability kind of like asset uh, that will connect to different kind of metaverses? Yeah, I mean, definitely, uh, definitely see that. I think that that's sort of, uh, I'm sure you agree that that sort of self-expression or the digital identity is so, is going to be so crucial um, to, you know, to this, I mean, it already is, right? And of course, even more so, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you subscribe as, as, as the metaverse kind of evolves and, and we're going to spend more and more time um, with, with, you know, within within this, um, you know, with this, these digital worlds, obviously, uh, these virtual, you know, the, your virtual identity is going to be perhaps even more more important than than your than your physical today, right? So, uh, I know we're probably going to talk about that later in the podcast, but it's it's going to be very interesting to see how that's going to be how that's going to work out, and also how it's going to be sold tech wise when it comes to digital ownership and things like this. I think, I mean, in an in Trooper universe, and this has been around for so long. Some people have actually used their avatar, which they've had, and used that as their main. You know, they've they've been more famous within the universe compared to you know how famous they've been actually in in real life. Um, and it's going to be very interesting to see in general just the direction all in all. And I think when it comes to the metaverse, I mean, look at all the opportunities there are, and for <laughs> all the different areas where you know, things can be developed, both on a technical side but also just in general. And I think you know. I might be stealing this from another podcast again, not as good as this one, of course, but um, where you know we're at the stage right now, uh, like talking about the internet back in the '90s. Nobody knew what it was going to be, right? And if you told somebody in the '90s that or early '90s that you know the internet is going to be TikTok, which is the most popular thing ever, if you told that to someone in 1990, you know who would have guessed? So I think it's quite interesting that you know we're we're sitting here and speculating, and sure, some points will definitely be true, but I think there's there's a lot of things that we have no idea what the metaverse actually will will lead to in the end. And I think it is quite interesting to think it uh, like that. So, so Hendrik, I mean, uh, do do you think that Entropia Universe is a metaverse? Would you say it that it is metaverse? Yeah, I mean, we are branding ourselves as a metaverse, and and that again, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that we do. Uh, which you know, correlates to um, to like how, how you can describe a metaverse. You know, it's a live environment in in real time always. Uh, we we're in a single shard in that sense that there's not multiple servers. So everything that happens, no matter where you are in the world, is you know we can meet uh, from any part. And we have a you know fully functional economy as well, where people can create, they can buy, they can sell, they can trade. But most importantly, you know, they can create value uh, for each other, and you know, content. Uh, the step that we're doing now, it's been around for you know, 
keep repeating myself, but we've been around for a long time. And the next iteration of what we're trying to do is expand on you know, the possibility for creating content and, and experiences um, in, a, you know, in a good way. So for without doubt, I would say that there's a lot of like certain boxes in Trophy Universe are ticking. Um, but then we, I, I guess we can sit here and discuss what boxes does define a, a metaverse. Um, so hopefully, um, or I would say that yet, and hopefully with the next iteration, because what we're doing right now is that we're um, migrating the game from CryEngine 2, which is a quite an old engine, into Unreal Engine 5. And the tools that we're getting and the tools that we can provide to the users that we have is going to expand much more compared to the technical capabilities that we have today. Okay, but Henrik, that, that's, uh, you're moving from an open API, right? The cry, old cry, that's AWS, right? So you're basically moving from that into Unreal, which is in some way centralized, right? You know, is, will that limit you? You can make the experience better, but will that limit you across working on the bigger kind of picture with interoperability or how do you see this? Or is it just technology as it is right now and then hopefully in, in the future? In a certain way, absolutely. But, you know, we, we bought CryEngine and made a modified version ourselves. And we, if you're just being rational about it, what we're good at here at MindArc is, uh, you know, creating a Tropia universe. And at the same time, what we've been trying to do is developing our own engine too, and just cutting ourselves short in a lot of areas. So the difference with what we can do now is obviously uh, with Unreal and the people working at, at Epic, you know, they're going to develop the the, um, the engine for us. Yeah, it limits certain areas which we might uh, want to you know, improve, but at the same time, we're getting a lot for uh, the work that we don't have to do ourselves, which we currently have to do uh, as of this moment. So there's obviously pros and cons with everything, but we see this as a, as a big uh, pro for us. Yeah, so, sorry, to quickly, just my only comment was because the only reason why I'm asking, because we were actually looking into, we use Unity right now, we also have been looking at Unreal, and then I looked at the cry because we already use some AWS services. So I was looking, so that was just in that context that I was, I was asking. Awesome. That's a nice segue to our next question then. Uh, Morten, what is your question and the context behind it? Yes. So my question was, how do you see payments working in the metaverse? Because my, again, running around with your avatar and suddenly uh, the whole user experience that you suddenly have to pay for something. How do you see that in, in, in the future? Do you see the avatar as part of that kind of solution where it's like a, what I would call a body wallet, uh, where suddenly it has all your connect, uh, basically all your payment information and then you could interact with that and pay with it. But, but how do you see payments would work in the metaverse from a frictionless point of view? Um, that was my question. Awesome. Henrik, I would like you to start on this one because I feel like you might already have a solution, but obviously things are changing. <laughs> Oh, but I think, again, I mean, that depends on the context. I think the key, without doubt, you said it yourself more than is, uh, it has to be a frictionless payment process, whatever it is. And I think, obviously, you know, uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies is going to be a, a big part. Uh, but even, you know, even using fiat currency, whatever it is, it should, it has to be frictionless. Because if it isn't frictionless, it's going to be a huge barrier entry for you know, people around the world or, or companies or whatever to actually enter the space. Um, so, you know, those are my two cents. I'm, I'm, you know, my, my background is not very technical. 
so I have a hard time of figuring out uh, how the implementation would be, but um, my vote is, you know, focus has to be on it being as easy as possible for this to um, yeah, lower the entries of barriers, barriers of entry, sorry. What do you think, Kim? Um, well, I, I think that in if you think about the games themselves, like what, what happens in a game, like for example, uh, well, in, in Entropy Universe or EVE Online or RuneScape or whatever, if, if you kind of like, if you do, if you trade there uh, something with uh, with the other players or, or pay for the pay for the content or unlock something, I, I see that as kind of like mundane in a purchases as we as we have today, uh, mostly with fiat uh, or as I want to call it RFM, real fucking money. Uh, but Harry said that I can curse and curse in the podcast, so that was the first one. Uh, so, but. Then, if you kind of like think outside of the games themselves, if you, if you trade items out the game, uh, again, I think it's most most easy to easy way to do an onboard gamers is to use real money, and there are different large companies already looking into it uh, how to kind of like pull that off, how to have a storefront in on on web or somewhere else uh, where people could just trade items from any game that wants their items to be traded and I see that real money is kind of like the key for that because experience with, with blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies is abysmal at best at this point. Uh, I mean, short example, when I, I started playing my first uh, blockchain game, it was Crypto Raiders. It took me literally three days to get my first uh, character there because I had to create uh, MetaMask, I had to buy Solana, I had to access and create OpenSea account, then I buy for the paid for the character with, with uh, Solana, but it was Ethereum, so it took two days for the transaction and all the currency exchange, and it's kind of like we game developers, we think, think about uh, first-time user experience, onboarding, you have to be as frictionless as possible, it has to be like, uh, I don't know, with five-second attention spans, and stuff like that, and it can't take like three days or three hours even. So with real money solutions, I see that as kind of like the mass market solution. I like it. Michael, what are you thinking? Yeah, apologies if there's a drilling here in the background, but they just stopped, so I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and hopefully I can get my point. Yeah, I think I think I agree with, with, with um, you know, most of you guys have been saying, I think there's this, this, um, uh, this frictionless element is obviously super important and then perhaps adding the adding trust to this as well right uh, maybe that's kind of a, a given and the, but the reason that I mentioned that is because it's going to be interesting to see I mean I'm 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 of the uh, I'm of the viewpoint that I think blockchain technology obviously has a has a big role to play here I mean I think that's it's it's extremely likely that's that's the the new rails we're going to build the next uh, um, the next kind of payment systems on, but but um, I think the only question for me is like when when kind of will that happen, right? Because uh, obviously where we are now, there's still there's still a lot of skepticism, and I think uh, um, we can see that you know governments and central banks and so forth are not sort of fully behind this, and until until that happens, I think that there at least for for uh, for, for for big portion of the uh, of consumers, they will there will not be that kind of that trust that is also needed for for this to, to work, but I'm I I'm, I'm confident that that's gonna that's gonna happen in not too distant future. Yeah, I I think again looking at just the UX from 
onboarding crypto people, right? Like exactly like Kim said, you know, if you set up MetaMask, you need to set up your password, you know, have your seed phrases. And, you know, the first thing you see is just like, if you don't do this right, you're going to lose everything you own. That alone is just a massive blocker, right? And, you know, we need to also look at how can we, how can we help the environment? And right now, everybody's building, of course, their own kind of what I still call like centralized small projects, but we need to work on a bigger uh, picture together and see how we can solve this mass uh, mass adoption and how just lower the entry barrier basically for, for people to come into this. Uh, and we also need to address there's been so many rug pulls and scams in this space, right? And I think that is also scaring people and we 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 need to see how we can also solve that, I think so as an industry, because the problem is it actually is so, you know, it, it covers so many or it actually affects so many good projects out there. And we saw it in the ICO that even though there was a lot of scams, but in the ICO also really good projects actually just went bust because that there was too much um, negativity around and too many people actually lost all they owned. And, and I think that is where we need to also start. And that I think will lead into a frictionless kind of payment and, and creative way how to, to solve the payments in the metaverse also. Just gonna jump in here because I'm thinking from one of the first podcasts I did on Web3, Orca Andre, who's the CEO at Crypto Road Games. So he's making his game where the blockchain aspect of it comes after. So you don't have to use any blockchain related stuff for the onboarding process, you can start playing. But if you want those extra benefits, whether it be in-game benefits or like real money benefits, that happens after the fact. And that way, start playing the game, have a good time. And I'm just thinking, it has to be a bit of centralized and decentralized at the same time, like if that makes sense. Because if it's fully decentralized, the cons we mentioned earlier surely are going to exist. Like the player has so much responsibility. But again, if you want to go too centralized, then maybe you lose the the dream of the metaverse where all this interoperability. So any thoughts on that? I think I saw Kim raise his hand. So I'll go with you, Kim. Yeah, thanks. Um, I mean, yeah, kind of like following up what you said about uh, kind of like making the game so that you can start playing the game and you don't have to worry about uh, setting up a wallet or you might not even be aware that there is a possibility for that. But then maybe if you want to take something out of the game, then you're presented and, and hopefully your hand is being held through the whole process of creating the the wallet and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it seems that at least that has been learned as, as a uh, community, as developers, that you can't just like expect people to pay 300 upfront and then kind of like create the wallets beforehand. And that's, well, that's already a step in the right direction, of course. Yeah, I think, yeah, what, what we basically, I think two things. One is also that whole, I would say, decentralized and centralized kind of like aspect to it. We work with big brands and there's also a brand issue when, when these big brands move into especially uh, DeFi and, and the whole web free because they still need to have control in some way. So, so I think it's a mix between some kind of centralized solution, but we still have a decentralized kind of element to it. So basically what we do on our platform is that when you come in, you create your wallet when you just type in your email. So that automatically creates your wallet, will have an Ethereum address on our kind of like side chain. And then we already have built our own bridges where the user can take them out to any kind of like network they want to. 
uh, and, and basically just transfer it out. You know, we, we are chain agnostic in that way because we don't want to limit it. But I think it's a mix between some of these things we'll see. And, and, and like I said, everybody right now is researching and developing and innovating and, and testing. And I don't think anyone actually has, I would say, the final kind of recipe right now. But I think it's very interesting to see, especially working with big brands, how do we also solve some of this? Because not everything can just be decentralized because they still need to have control to a certain point. Okay, one question, guys. So I have a vision, not in that sense, but like, uh, let's say, uh, you know, Meta, Facebook, building a metaverse. And I've just thinking about them in the sense of like PlayStation versus Xbox, centralized company, but you make a great game, you can sell it to PlayStation or Xbox as an exclusive. And from my perspective, if Meta was to be a really centralized metaverse, and I think I've heard uh, Michael mentioned, uh, Michael? Yeah, sorry, CEO of Facebook. Uh, he kind of mentioned that it won't really work if there's a bunch of different metaverses. There needs to be one holy grail. So what if you make a great metaverse project, but really for it to work, it needs to join a network akin to like PlayStation and Maker. So, you know, either that'd be Epic Games or Meta. Like, do we do you guys think there will be like two massive players of like metaverses, or do you still think you can like be your own thing, like and release your game kind of oh you have to play the game only on this website kind of thing? Like in my head, interoperability, if you want that, you need to have something centralized. Uh, anyone can kind of jump in. Uh, well, my five cents is that uh, decentralized anything is kind of like I don't know, it, it goes with the blockchain ideology, I would say. Uh, but I mean, then if you think from business perspective, I mean, you want your game to be, if you have a mobile game, you want to have it on uh, App Store, you want to have it on, on, on Google Play Store, because otherwise you just, you miss like 99.99999% of the market. Same with, with PC. I mean, of course, you can sell downloadables yourself from your website, but you want to be in, in centralized hub, is it Steam or, or App Store or Epic Store, whatever. But it's about consumers finding your product and that's kind of like if it's all out there everybody would have their own websites for the games that yeah that wouldn't work yeah i come from it maybe from a different kind of like what what harry just described is what we actually are fighting right now like games like fortnite right they're closed they're centralized so you know you can't take your asset out if you pay something it, it stays within that kind of environment right so what you actually is describing right here is i would say it's not going to work i don't i think i think right now the audience at some point is gonna demand it's my asset i can take it wherever i want to it, it may mean like it's a car or it's a weapon in fortnite but maybe i will withdraw it and it can unlock something else or basically be seen as a I would say like a user acquisition, like, you know, now you can be tracked over, like we see that you have all these Fortnite assets. We've just launched a new game and we will actually give you gifts if you come over and play in this one. So I think we'll see the blockchain as a, almost like an open library where you could do user acquisition in, in that sense. But for me, it's more like, you know, I think we'll see a couple of big ones and they will all, be, all have like a focus or something they're really good at. Then we'll have all these microverses where you'll be able to jump in between because you have like certain kind of like interest or something. And that's why I also don't believe that if Harry, you and I went into a metaverse together, I think maybe where we have like a common interest, we would see each other, but then we would explore different kind of metaverses. And, uh, it, 
and it's depending basically what kind of interest we had. So suddenly you can go in one direction, I can go in another one, and we can meet in a whole third idiot metaverse because suddenly our path will meet again because we had a common interest again. I think that will be how we, we slowly will see uh, metaverses evolve. Just one quick comment. So, but can't we do that? Like, let's say we're both Xbox friends. We play one game together. We can jump on a different game. That still happens in a centralized manner, right? Yeah, but again, here we're talking about different kind of metaverses across, you know, so many different ones. So I don't believe that it's going to be one company that this is going to happen in. I believe suddenly we can meet in an EA own game or suddenly we will be meta because they have a really cool environment that suddenly maybe it's a it's a conference or something whatever it could be right and that's where we will meet up and then move into something else i i really don't see we will have centralized big ones i think we will they will be centralized in some way but they need to open up because the digital economy is moving so they need to embrace that whole web free and how do they interact to future kind of generation and don't be scared about basically their in-game economy, because I think that right now we will see massive, much bigger economy actually being unlocked because you open up to everybody. And I think that's all about monetization, loyalty, gamification. How can you interact with your users and your, your new kind of clients? Yeah, I mean, kind of jumping in there, but I think that sounds like we're, we're seeing things, at least some things uh, in the same way. I mean, we're, we're from from the very start of, of building hybrid we were we, our thesis was that really that the metaverse will evolve uh, out of the existing internet that eventually it will it will it will kind of break down all these all these uh, kind of wall gardens that exist today uh, it's not going to happen overnight i think we all agreed i mean to your point kim i think this is not being in app store and so forth is is not it's not a smart idea uh, right now but i mean but we're i mean we're we're convinced that you know instead of I mean, for, for many brands or many, uh, many games, it will be relevant to be in more of, a lot of spaces, right? But I think that instead of, instead of purchasing virtual kind of land in someone else's wall garden, we think that um, you as a, as, a, as a company, as a brand, as a game, probably have the most valuable real estate there is, which is, which is your, your .com uh, address, right? That's where you already have a, an engaged audience coming to visit you. We think that is going to be the... The, you know the the virtual uh, you know the most you know most valuable virtual land for you to have that's where you you will build out your 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 metaverse presence your meta your, your metaverse world and then and then you, you know, all that of course just like the the web is intelligent right so that's that's how we see uh, that it's going to eventually evolve and it's it's uh, it's not going to happen overnight and that's that's what we also like to to contribute to 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 building that kind of world we'll see where 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 are we going to do, do you think, Michael, you will see brands having different kind of presence depending on what kind of activity or utility in the different kind of metaverses? Uh, yeah, I, I think um, not, not only that. I think that's just it, it's it's at the moment. Uh, I think kind of one of the challenges we have is that if if you have, for instance, if you have a presence in in in, in one of these as a brand and you have a kind of virtual line in one one metaverse, um, uh, obviously. You know the world is not the same. The audience are not the same. And like if if you're into, uh, I mean, if you're in India, you're into cricket, right? If you're in US, you're into baseball. And I think it's I think the, the metaverse needs to be much more dynamic. And and uh, and I think that that's uh, that's again where where we think that building out this way, building it out on, on the existing internet is 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 going to help bring about bring about that uh, kind of. The diversity as well, and 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 uh, and, uh, and all that comes with it. 
Awesome. Let's move on to the third question, which is Kim. Kim, what is your question and the context behind it? Okay, so first question, my question is, uh, do you see the hostility toward blockchain gaming changing? And if so, how and, and during what timeline? And kind of like the background for that is is that I mean the hostility from gamers, I our our kind of like uh, customers, because especially anytime any big company like uh, Ubisoft or Square Enix or Team Seventeen says something about their considering of of adding NFTs or whatever, there's like immediate backlash, and then they have to walk back. And it seems that gamers, as as by and large, don't really want to have nfts right now so i i've heard like well i heard from one colleague that they are launching uh nft game like this week and they scrapped word nft from their website because they see that gamers don't like it and they don't want to kind of like be too upfront about it so that has to change if if uh blockchain gaming is ever gonna kind of like take hold so how do you see that happening i mean how do you onboard gamers like the mass market of three billion gamers on that all righty i want to have henrik start on this one please henrik what are you thinking so two things i want to say i think especially when it comes to nfts that they need to have some utility i think that gamers have to understand that there is a purpose why we are doing it not rather than holy shit nfts are the biggest thing right now and therefore we're just going to do something and it, it becomes dog shit essentially. So what we actually did an NFT initiative uh, during the summer where we created five NFT. Uh, they were eggs, and the utility that they had was that the owner of the egg uh, owns an affiliate code, which means that players or users that that the yeah, the owner brings in, they get part of that revenue. So there's something in the owner actually get a, a benefit from from owning that NFT and can sell that NFT as well in the future. And the second part is that that egg in itself is going to hatch uh, when we do our launch in Unreal. So there's actually something that is going to happen with time. Um, so I think that that's one part of it. Um, the second for me is when we were in GDC and we were talking to a lot of different actors just in general and um, talking about blockchain gaming as well. And, you know, it seems like right now a lot of people have, you know, ideas of what they want to do, right? And we need all that kind of money, and then we'll just fix the rest. We'll just build a game in in three months' time, in six months' time. And I think in the beginning, when it was this high, a lot of investors just jumped on on the idea because you know they they were they were afraid of missing out. But now the tides are are changing, where I think both investor and investors and companies are a bit more careful into which uh, which projects they actually do invest in because there's been a lot of, of bad ones, a lot of you know scams even, um, and now it's kind of refreshing. And some someone said to me in, in GDC that you know if you say you know, we want to take our time, we have a project, uh, you know we have it, the team, and it's going to take us like three years. They're like. Oh. Thank God, because someone is taking this seriously and actually understands that it takes time to, you know, integrate all these things compared to just, you know, selling a dream that everything can be achievable within a couple of months. And that worked in the beginning. It doesn't work anymore. And I think that has led to the situation now where there is a lot of hostility. But I think it, in the near future, I think it's going to even even out. I, I honestly do feel so, because 
like you say, a lot of companies are a bit wary now into doing things like this just because of the reception, which means that they have to take an extra step in thinking as to why are we doing this? What is the benefit, not for the company, but for the, the players and for the users? Yeah, that's my two cents. Go for it, Morton. Oh, I actually think it was Michael first. He Michael? So courteous. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's very, um, well, I, I just wanted to, to add there as well as I, I think that obviously um, I, I, there's not just like one, I think we're all good. There's, there's just one thing that makes like kind of created this hostility towards blockchain gaming. But I mean, I, there, there are several of them. Uh, but I mean, I think, I think one that I think of a, a lot, you know, that, that could be a big reason to this is this sort of notion of play to earn where where gaming has always been you know play to fun right this is you know that's that's the core of it right it's it's uh, and now you're you're adding this kind of work element to fun and it it's uh it's um uh, it kind of takes away the magic of, of gaming i think that's that to me at least that's where i think that that's the root that comes out of it and then there are other things as well but uh i must say though i think that there will be just just as there was hostility towards play you know free to play like 10 years ago and everybody was super against it and now you know the biggest games you know use, use that i think that there will be a model for for maybe it's not going to be called play to earn but there, there will be some sort of model that will that will evolve over time but uh, i think that uh, uh the question is like how much how much time but i'm, I'm pretty i'm pretty um, i'm pretty positive towards that you know that that there will be you know there will this kind of a hostility will will you know will, will abate over time yeah no i agree michael and i think you're touching exactly to the root of the course i think that play to earn model actually started that whole kind of like wave and especially the media and especially the gamers because suddenly the whole narrative changes and it's just like now it needs just it doesn't need to be fun you just need to earn money and i think that really stirred up the community. So I think you're spot on on that one. And I know that what I really like then is also, you know, Axie Infinity was like kind of the driver for this whole thing. I think they really did something that's, that stood out because again, we saw blockchain gaming, it really got kind of like a little bit of what I could call a mass adoption kind of uh, attitude to it because everybody was in it. But we also saw where basically the players were and where the economy was generated. And it was not in, I would say countries like ours, because we we have like a high income and we do it for fun instead of suddenly we could see that now we could do it actually to make a living. So I, I totally get why we saw the rush moving into it. But to touch on Hendrix, um, I I agree. You know, for me NFT, we need to we need to scrap that whole thing. You know, it's it's the the problem is for me it's all been always been about why do I use blockchain. And for me, it's the core fundamental that it's your asset, it's your ownership. And I think the narrative suddenly was about, no, it's just like, it's sustainability. And it's just like, it's really just like, yeah, it's ruining the earth. And we saw all these negative comments, and especially actually in the games media, they were like, you know, really pushing it. And Kim touched based on Team 17. We actually were the company that did the deal with Team 17 where they pulled out because the community just they were just getting you know suddenly get this whole outrage and team 17 even though we we had really good conversation we educated them along the way and really had good kind of also got good coverage around everything from sustainability we actually had a real cooperation with a real sustainability partner in canada who 
who actually did food nutrition with real worms. So they were like digital worms, real worms. So there was a really good, strong narrative around that whole thing. But they just got scared about uh, not knowing, I would say, their own community and how strong they were. So I think that is one of the key points when you, when big brands, especially move into this one, they need to know their kind of core uh, community and fans because otherwise they could, they could easily be scared. But again, it's all about move away from, it's not a scam anymore and big brands move into this because they want to embrace the web free and it's all about ownership of the assets. And I think that will open up to even bigger things. And I think that's why we need to go back to that core discussion but every time people just saying it's scam, it's exploiting. No, it's about you as a gamer. If you pay for something, it's your ownership. It's not us as a company. I mean, I mean, kind of like one one thing is that uh, it's it's very clear that players do want to trade their items uh, uh, in games and even uh, outside the game itself. I mean, you 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 can't stop it. I mean, in our previous game called Pixel Worlds, there's like still it's still like active game uh and like in in my previous company and there are like dozens of facebook pages and and shady websites where people trade the items and currency and whatnot and same goes for well eve online you can buy whole accounts you can buy world of warcraft you know that runescape anyone who has played runescape knows knows all of those things so there is clearly an appetite for that and I've been trying to find numbers. I mean, uh, some numbers I find is, is like CSGO skin trading in Steam. It's estimated to be around $300 million uh, per year. Uh, but I haven't found yet uh, kind of like estimations for the gray market uh, on, on game item trading uh, globally, but it has to be billions. And then if we can somehow tap that and make that legit uh, and then expand it as well, that can like birth a whole new 10 billion plus annual kind of like revenue streams for game games. And that's kind of like the holy grail of this whole thing. I think blockchain started it, but uh, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of like the agnostic here, but I'd say that it doesn't require blockchain uh, per se necessarily. You can do it with fiat as well, but, and the ownership is there, but I don't know, at least blockchain started it, but uh, how it will happen, blockchain, real money, I don't know yet. Uh, my bet is on real money. Just unmute, uh, Morton. Sorry, it's uh, I actually thought I unmuted, but okay, perfect thing. Uh, so I still think, Kim, you could still do it with, with fiat money. It doesn't, you know, it's more like the blockchain technology and move this around. I think one of the things where, where you could tap into how big that market is, if you look at uh, how many people actually got scammed selling digital goods every year just in gaming, that's roughly around 2 billion, right? I think that's a drop in the ocean, to be honest, because how many actually report this? and gets officially kind of like in statistics and all that. But 2 billion people or $2 billion basically in, in pure fraud happen. You know, I think, again, going back to how many and how much trade there is, I had a talk with a big, big, and I wouldn't mention name here, but I had a big talk with a, a really known uh, games provider and said to them, you know, you have all these trades happening. We can do this securely because again we have now proven that the last four years we've done all this we've done x amount of trades and now you could you could offer this solution basically uh, as a safe transaction and and still earn a, you know basically a percentage where this will happen still in your own environment and even though it happens outside the platform you could still tap into that commission but they were quite clear in that you know actually we we don't mind people get hacked 
indirectly because then they need to buy new assets. That was that was the argument back when we were talking about 2018, 19. You know, that whole thing has changed now. Now we see the same company approaching us saying that, oh, by the way, can you help us about this whole thing? Because now we need to embrace it because now actually our audience is demanding that Again, it's my asset. I need to trade this securely because my son or my under 18 uh, year old son is, is trading this and want to do this in a safe environment. And we need to create that. So I think, again, this is where the blockchain has its powers. And I think we'll be, we need to be better in educating and also uh, promoting this. This is the reason why it needs to be blockchain. Comment, guys. So I'm thinking from a consu consumer perspective quickly before we move on to the next question. Uh, from a consumer perspective, if it's super easy to trade assets, then it's a lot more incentivizing for someone to play to earn, in a sense, because you have a perfect way to do it. I don't have to really do any scams. So I'm just thinking RuneScape. You can buy something called a bond, which basically gives you real game currency. But that's centralized. You pay RuneScape, the company, and you get coins. That The amount of coins you get for the pounds you pay is worse than what you could get on the gray market, but the gray market isn't legal. You can get scammed. But if it was centralized, in my head, sorry, if it was blockchain based, then you can have that royalty thing, which I think is very hard to do on a centralized thing where you can have everything transparent and then a company, whoever provided that asset, can get a royalty. Otherwise, it would need to be centralized. And then if it's centralized, I just, I just don't see it working. I don't. I'm, I said all of that now. I don't know if there's anything to actually add on to that. Uh, but I'm just thinking, if it was super easy internally to trade, then in my head, people will play the game. A lot of bots would come in because well, why not? Like they're incentivizing this, right? So I'm just jumping in here without raising my hand. Hope that's fine. Um, I mean, we, we in Entropia Universe where there is a lot of trades going on, and we have items which is like the market value is quite high, and we stand as the you know, it is possible to through our auction house to do sales or even through peer-to-peer -peer where we are the, the right way but like the stability and, and ensure that you know um, you can do all these trades inside the game you don't have to bypass and so in a sense i do feel that we we have that without that but obviously that's not blockchain based right now and that's the, that's the thing with for us and what's been so important is I think if, if MindArk were, you know, creating Entropia Universe today, like that was the idea, uh, we wouldn't have the trust. But the good thing is that we've, since we've been around for so many years, we have that 20 years of trust from, from all the users that we had. So continuously building up. And at any point, if that trust weren't there, I think you know, MindArk would, would go under because if you don't have the trust, then, yeah, then it's over. So in that sense, it feels quite, quite nice to have that 20 years uh, record of, of being that you know, sort of safety to a certain degree. I like it. So because you have the trust, you don't need to scream decentralization because, you know, just please trust us. And here's the reasons why. But if you're a new company doing it, it's very hard to get that same trust. So I guess, funny enough, you could get trust by making it blockchain. Uh, Morton. Yeah, just quickly. I also think, again, you know, what we see right now, like I wanted to touch base on this, it's just like, there's so much hype right now, right? And people think that, you know, all NFT needs to go up in value. And, you know, that that's kind of like, the, again, the story behind the whole thing, because they've seen all these cool projects, you know, I buy this, it goes up in value, I make a profit, and, you know, that's it. 
So what I really want us to see is also that 95% of all these NFTs issued in the future is not going to go up in value. You know, we, we just see a wave right now with, um, you know, like the ICO days, right? You know, it's just a hype right now. Then we, we basically innovate, people get scammed, and we try to, to avoid that. We move on to the next chapter, we research, we innovate again, and then we see new kind of like challenges. But I think right now, we need to also, and what I can see the market, especially working with big brands, is that that hype from especially audience is now looking into, is this a valid project? Exactly to Henrik's point, have you 20 years of, of proven kind of like um, presence in this space, right? Are you a, a proper brand, a AAA brand or whatever you are, but they're looking more like solid projects. Again, this is not just a rug pull that you're going to do. And, and it always goes back to, I see so many things and people come back, we've been approached by this guy and these guys, and they can do all these great ideas, but it all comes down to use cases. Do you have proven concepts? Do you have activity? Do you have revenue? And, and that's where I would say the big brands right now are also looking. And, and again, the audience is also now looking into, because they have burned you know, so many money right now and just like really suffered, I would say. So that's the big next thing. Lovely. Let's move on to the final question. Uh, Michael, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so my question is, what do you currently see as the major barriers for brands that are looking to enter the metaverse? And, and how do you imagine these to have evolved in, let's say, the next five years' time? So, and um, some context behind that. I mean, we're, we're, we're uh, you know, here at Hybrid, we, we've actually... We're just about to unveil our our offering to to brands to come onto our platform, but we're still already before this getting a lot of inbound from 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 brands that are looking to enter, and we uh, we're, we're seeing a lot of confusion. They don't know, you know, they don't really know how to what is my next step. They 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 know that they have to, or they they feel like they have to participate, but they don't know what that kind of that what that first step. And in a lot of cases, actually, we're hearing. You're hearing, you know, um, top management, uh, you know, saying an email to their to their marketing director, just buy some virtual land, you know, just do something, you know, uh, which uh, maybe it's not necessarily the best uh, approach. So, uh, yeah, just curious to hear what 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 you guys are thinking. I'm sure you, you Morten, has has some experience in this in this area. Yeah. So so, but but yeah, <laughs> spot on, Michael. I think right now the brands has no idea how to enter this space, right? That's also what we could see. Two things which always comes up in any kind of discussion working with big brands. It's about regulation and it's about sustainability. How do you embrace this? How do you make sure, because you need to tick the boxes when you're talking to big brands, especially you need to tick the, the ESG, CSR boxes. You know, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna be looked at from investors, from, from clients and from users? Uh, so just a quick background, and I know we don't have maybe, I uh, don't know how much time we have, but we, we are handling it quite differently. So, so we have actually teed up, especially with uh, sustainability, we have invested in an AG tech company called Refeed in uh, Canada. So they handle food nutrition, the same company that we wanted to use for, for Team 17. But basically they handle um, kind of like food that being recovered from, you know, producers from, from supermarkets, so on, being divided into humans can be re use that is good enough for that kind of quality. The rest still have pulled with nutrition, be chopped up and come into a, like a vertical worm, uh, worm bed, basically a vertical farming. So different kind of uh, uh, free layers. 
So they basically are consuming all the, the fruit and vegetables. And now the worm casting is basically going to produce, because worm shit doesn't sound so good. So Harry, you have to edit that out also. But uh, basically, it's going to be organic fertilizer replacing synthetic fertilizer that will be sold back into the farmers. So suddenly you have an ecosystem and a circular economy. So that, that was kind of like, we need to invest in this because we didn't trust going out and handle sustainability because you can only do whatever you can do within your company. But can you buy carbon credits? Yes, you can. But you also know that you can't trust the data because the carbon credits are most likely oversold multiple times of data. So it looks good on paper, but actually it's not doing anything. And you can plant a tree and again, it doesn't solve basically the big picture. So we had to do a different kind of approach. So I did all this work back in 2018, 19, taking these first steps. So what we have done with basically this AG tech company is now build them into the chain. So our own side chain. So we can monitor via an LCA module, which is like a life cycle analysis module, every kind of input, the carbon footprint that we do on the platform from our users, like let's say BBC playing the game, we have a million players, um, like every year they produce X amount of carbon footprint. We need to offset and know how much we need to offset in order to balance that out. So we basically handle everything regarding carbon credits or carbon footprint on our platform. And that was a big tick box for some of the leading brands because now they can tick off that whole ESG um, for them, which is one of the most important thing and regulation we have top people in our advisory boards and, and across legal counsel that is just covering that whole thing, which we will, they, we are taking them in the first meeting so they can, you know, be kind of like calm and know that we're going to handle this. All your questions, we will make sure to, to, to cover them. So that's, that's how we work with, with especially big brands and cover that whole thing. But it's, it's a challenge. I agree. Yeah, I like that because you basically solve one of the barriers, you know, just as part of your service, which is cool. Uh, Kim, exactly. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, well, um, good question, Michael. And I, I think that you you answered one of the major barriers. What is the major barrier with yourself? Like, companies don't really know what to do. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we force should. I don't know. Maybe we should set up a, a consulting company. Just an idea. Uh, but uh, but I mean, yeah, there is. As I as I said in the first line, what what is the matrix? What is the metaverse? I mean, the companies don't know. We we don't know exactly. People have different ideas about what it is. Uh, but I, I think that, well, even even seriously, companies should look into someone who has been operating in the space uh, for many years, not us game developers or like, but may, there are consultants, good and bad ones, but kind of like seek out and learn about it. Uh, don't just tell your marketing manager to to buy land in, in, in some, some game. Uh, but I do think that in five years, uh, as in your question, like how has it been evolving in the next five years, I'd say it should be much more clear for five of us here and, and everyone else as well. So maybe time will take care of that. I don't know. Not a good answer, but that's my answer. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Morten, do you have any quick thoughts before I go to Henrik? Yeah, it was just quickly, just to touch base on that one. I think one of the things that we have seen is that they don't know how to enter it. And again, they suddenly find out it's not enough just to have a web free strategy. You need gamification, you need tokenomics, you need a platform, you need execution and you need a team. And I think all that is part of why they now will turn towards, you know, again, you know, companies like, like both of all of us here, right? Because we have proven kind of like 
experience in this field. We know how to handle uh, brands and so on. So I think that is uh, that's what we really need to enforce, especially when you talk to them. You know, we, we know what we're doing. We know how to handle your brand in this new world. You're amused, Harry, but I'm guessing you said <laughs> what my thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I'm, I'm into just what you're talking about, Kim, uh, really. And I think understanding, you know, the more we understand about what the metaverse is or for brands to understand, and that's really important. But also the fact that the metaverse isn't just a hype word that's going to die. Because I think in, in a lot of people's mind, it's just like, yeah, you know, metaverse, whatever. It's gonna die, and then something else is gonna, you know, tag along. Just like you know, some people back in the day thought about the internet. It's just something that's yeah, yeah, it's gonna be here for you know one year, and then then it's gone. And uh, so I think changing that mentality is definitely um, something important. Um, and I think it needs to be. I mean, I think a lot of a lot of actors or a lot of brands are careful entering the the space just because there aren't yet any. Know, commercial long-term success cases enough uh, to be ordered, you know, to make sure that, hey, you know, that company did it really well, then that's proof that we can do it also. Um, you know, it's like, no, you know, very few people want to take that leap and being first, um, you know, no, nobody wants to become boo.com again. So um, I think more success stories in, in what you can do. And I think, you know, like Nike did with Roblox, and there's definitely examples of uh, where there's been you know smaller smaller things that led to success and the more examples of that there is i think that's going to help the entire space uh, without doubt awesome i want to bring this to michael now uh, for some closing thoughts yeah and I, I i would agree and then i think that's just just uh, i mean there's as you said i mean there, there's some excellent examples like nike for instance and, and but um and and uh, nike is perhaps an example of, of a brand that is is uh have uh, kind of a lot of experience with 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 trying out new things and also have um, lots of resources, right? And one of those brands that probably should experiment with with a lot of lot of spaces out there. And and I think that have approached this, if I may say, very in a very uh, in a very in a very good way, right? Realizing that it's the solution here is not just to build a kind of a, a game in, in in Roblox and then and then walk away, but has has uh, understands what it means to to have a you know to build something you know that has evolution right an experience or a game in this case that that uh, that needs to be maintained and, and enhanced and I think that's uh, that's probably why they have succeeded um, so well in their experiments so far. Yeah, yeah, and I think you know just quickly because BBC is actually quite a conservative company, so for us even that was quite a surprise that they were so aggressive now moving into Web three, right? But I also it was because they also. Could see that the digital economy was moving and and uh, we discussed with them and like we said you know in three to five years most company will be web free kind of like interactive in some way or you know, active they need to engage with web free in, in, in somehow right but i still believe like we saw with web one and web two especially with the social media you need to have a strategy that's why they know that they need to look into this right now otherwise you know within two years if they don't have that their audience is gone, you know, but they moved on because again, that's why I think they're taking it very seriously because they saw what happened to web one companies where nobody believed in the nineties that they're going to be internet companies someday. Right. So I think it's the same thing we will now see again, but it will just move up uh, or speed up basically that that's how I see it. Fantastic. And we'll leave it there. This has been the evolution exchange gaming podcast. 
I want to take this opportunity to thank Morton, Michael, Henrik and Kim for joining and providing their insights. We should do a round two. I'm going to put that out there to the internet because I really enjoyed that. And I feel like this is such an evolving topic where uh, it just makes sense to just touch base again. Thank you everyone at home for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get involved in one of our upcoming podcasts or just want to chat, uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn at Harry Foku. Foku spelled P-H-O-K-O-U.